Please open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Would you join me as, uh, as I ask the Lord to guide our time in His Word this morning? <clears throat> Precious Heavenly Father, we approach Your throne this day. In the mighty name of Jesus. We come asking for help. Help to understand and appropriate the Word of God into our lives. Because, uh, Lord, this world is a hard place to live. There are things that come into our life that are hard. They don't, we don't understand them. <clears throat> Sometimes can't make sense of why. Remind us, Lord, of who you are. The God who sits on the throne of the universe, who works all things, who does all things well. And because you are sovereign, because you are all wise and perfect in love, we can trust you even when we don't understand. And so today we ask that you will teach us how to prepare ourselves to experience the promise of your peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Amen. On May 17, 2008, Christian recording artist Stephen Curtis Chapman and his family suffered a devastating loss. His five-year-old adopted daughter Maria was struck and killed when Chapman's 17-year-old son was backing his SUV out of the family's driveway. After much prayer and counsel, Chapman, after only a few months, returned to touring in promotion for his newest album. Elizabeth Diffin, a freelance reporter, attended one of Chapman's concerts and writes about the experience. She writes, it's, oft, it's not often you leave a concert reflecting on the words of a song by a different artist. But as I ex exited the July 24th, 2008 Stephen Curtis Chapman event, the words of a rat Matt Redman song echoed through my head. Chapman opened the concert with Blessed Be Your Name, just two months after the death of his five-year-old daughter, Maria Sue, in a tragic accident at the family's home. Blessed Be Your Name was also the first song Chapman sang the day Maria's, of Maria's death when he wasn't sure he'd ever be able to sing again. Inspired by the story of Job, at, at one point the lyric repeats, he gives and takes away. As I sang this song, Chapman writes, it wasn't a song, it was a cry, it was a scream, it was a prayer. He explained to the audience of nearly 5,000 people. 
I found an amazing comfort and peace that surpasses all understanding. Chapman also shared that after Maria's death, he'd reconsidered the words of all his songs and whether he could ever sing or even believe them. Instead, losing his little girl brought the meaning of some of those songs into sharper focus. <clears throat> One example was a song entitled Yours, which addresses how everything in the world belongs to God. In the song in particular, he writes, I had come to a new realization. There's not an inch of creation that God doesn't look at and say, all of that is mine. As a result of that realization in conjunction with Maria's death, Chapman added a new verse to his song, yours. Here is the new verse. It says, I've walked the valley of death's shadow, so deep and dark that I could barely breathe. I've had to let go of more than I could bear. And I've questioned everything that I believed. Still, even here in this great darkness, a comfort and a hope comes breaking through. As I can say in life or death, God, we belong to you. We know that it's easy to trust God when things are going well. Right? It's easy to rejoice in the Lord and to let our forbearing spirit be known to all, to be anxious for nothing and to... In everything by prayer and supplication, give thanks and give praise and pray to God. We know we can do that when things are going well. But it's when the unexpected happens, when the unthinkable occurs, that we are forced into the reality of what it really means to trust God. To put our hope in God. To find peace in God. Well, we've been talking here from Philippians 4 about this promise that God gives us of the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension and will guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. That's a promise God gives to His people. But it's a promise that is conditioned upon our obedience. And as I said before, there are six commands that surround the promise in verses 4 through 9. And these commands are incredibly important for us to understand and to implement if we are going to experience the peace in the midst of difficult times. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first two, to rejoice in the Lord, always. Not sometimes, not in most cases, but always. And he says... And again I'll say it, rejoice. We need to find our joy in Him. Not in our circumstances. Though we do find happiness in things and circumstances at times. Relationships. But as we say, circumstances change. People disappoint us. Stuff fades away. We find our joy in the Lord. And let our forbearing spirit be known, that, uh, that graciousness that God puts in us when we come to know Christ, that, that, um, that kindness and generosity that comes from God. He says, let it be known. Don't hold it to yourself. Let it come out. 
When we find our joy in the Lord, then we can let that come out. When we find, uh, instead of joy, we find uh, bitterness or, or whatever else comes with, with disappointment in the things of this world, then it's not a generosity, a grace that flows out of us. It's something opposite that oftentimes hurts people, affects people in negative ways. And we come to the next two. Let me go ahead and read the passage so we can again see all of this in its context. But we're going to focus on verse 6. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, he writes, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Give you my peace. I, as the God of peace, will be with you. But you need to do your part. And so today we want to look at these two commands in verse 6. The first two dealt more with relationship, relationship with God and our, finding our joy in Him, relationships with others, letting our forbearing spirit be known. These ones focus internally. Uh, they're prayerful. And the first is to be anxious for nothing. What does it mean to be anxious? Well, the word means to have concern. To be anxious about something. To have a distracting care. Uh, and what is it that we're to be anxious for? Nothing. Not even one thing is what that means. No thing. That's what nothing means. I love that he puts it there because if not, then we would say, well, he's talking about, you know, some of things. Be anxious for, not for some things, but, but you know, really hard things we're allowed to be anxious. No, be anxious for nothing. Now, in saying that, I understand that's hard. I don't want to be trite about the reality of anxiety that people experience. But I want to be true to the Word of God that commands us to be anxious for nothing. Now, we have to understand what this means. In order to understand what it means, we need to understand what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is that we should never be concerned. The word anxious means concern. It's not this... Uh, you remember the old song by Bobby McFerrin? Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, I'm not going to try and sing that. But that, you know, that, that was a philosophy that just casts all care and all concern to the wind. You really don't care about anything. Don't worry, just be happy. Well, that only lasts a few moments, right? And then, then life really comes, and then you say, I, I can't live by that. No, it's not wrong to be concerned. In fact, Paul commends Timothy for his concern. 
Just two chapters before in Philippians 2, when he's telling the Philippians he's going to send Timothy to them. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned. It's the same exact root word as in verse 4, anxiety. Who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. The very thing about Timothy that qualified him in Paul's mind to send him to them is his concern for them. He was genuinely concerned. He genuinely cared about them. And that's why Paul felt comfortable sending him as his representative to these people that Paul had come to know and love so much. He knew that Timothy would not turn that concern into worry and anxiety. He knew that concern would cause Timothy to seek the face of God in prayer and to do what is in the best interest and welfare of the people in Philippi. And so that's why he sends him. You show me somebody who does not care about anything or anybody, and I'm going to set them aside. I don't, I, don't, I don't want them to be given any responsibility because they're going to blow it. We need to be concerned. We need to care. So when, what does it mean not to be anxious? It means that we shouldn't let our concern become our ultimate focus. Our concern cannot become our focus. Keep your finger there in Philippians. I want to take you to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Probably a passage that's familiar to us. But I want us to see it as I read it. It's in the middle, in the, in the, uh, middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He has just got done talking about laying our treasures in heaven, not on earth. Because moth destroys and rust you know, rust can, can take things away and thieves break in and steal. He says, no, lay up your treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So lay up your treasures in heaven. He talks about how we cannot serve two masters, cannot serve God in money. And then he says, and for this reason, verse 25 of Matthew 6, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life to what you shall eat or what you shall drink or for your body as to what you shall put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? We, we see this everywhere, but we don't recognize it, right? Well, I mean, this time of year, the birds are now coming back from, from hibernation or where they go down south. They come back up, and, and we're, we're seeing them all over the place. And we see God is caring for them. They're not working a day in their life. They get up and they go find food because God has provided it. And some of, some of us provide even more for them, right, in our bird feeders. God's representatives. Jesus says, are you not worth much more than they? So, let it be a lesson to us the next time you see a bird being fed by God. 
a reminder that God cares for you. God takes care of you. He cares much, much more. Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to your lifespan? This is a really good one because isn't it true that many times we worry thinking, well, if I worry, then I'm doing something. I'm doing my part. If I worry about it, then it won't happen. And that's all I worry about it. It ain't going to happen anyway if it isn't going to happen, whether you worry or not. He says you're not adding anything positive to your life by worrying. In fact, worry destroys us. Um, I, I, I pulled up on the Mayo Clinic's website just some of the, thing, the ways worry anxiety hurts us. Headaches muscle tension or pain, chest pain, fatigue, change in sex drive, stomachs upset, sleeping problems, anxiety, restlessness, uh, lack of motivation and focus, feeling overwhelmed, irritability and anger, sadness, depression, leads to overeating or undereating, angry outburst, drug alcohol abuse, tobacco use, um, social withdrawal, exercising less often than you need to. I mean, all these things. These are all the, the things that come about because we worry and are anxious. He says, it can't add a single cubit to your lifespan. 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet, I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. We're moving into the spring when we're going to see all the flowers blooming and all the beauty, everything. It's a reminder to us, God, God will take care of us. He said, if God so raised the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles in reference to unbelievers, eagerly seek for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Again, I, I don't want to make light of the things that create anxiety and, the, and the, the struggle that many people have with this issue. But I want to be clear, this is what the Bible tells us. I understand that sometimes we need some help from medications to, to get through a, a, a time and all that. I, again, I, that's beyond my, my pay grade and my understanding of things. But I know this, that no pill is the answer, ultimate answer to our problem. It is Christ. We go to Him. We learn to work through the things that cause anxiety so that ultimately our trust is in the Lord. Our focus, our concern is directed to the Lord. Not on the problem. You remember when Jesus went to Mary and Martha's house and he's teaching there and he's got these two sisters and they're, they got all these, these people in the home. Okay? Mary's sitting on the floor learning from Jesus and Martha's back in the kitchen preparing all the food and getting everything ready. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But what did Jesus say to Martha when she said, 
Lord, you tell Mary to come back here and help me. I got all this stuff going on. I, I, you know, I got all these people to feed, and I got all this and this, that, and the other thing. And, and, and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things. And basically, I'm not going to take the thing away from Mary. There's only one thing that matters, right? Now, there's nothing wrong, again, with being hospitable. Martha was concerned. And she let that concern overwhelm her. And so if you're Martha, many, many of us are. Remember not to let the good thing about your desire to be hospitable become the ultimate thing where you become so concerned about how you do that that it takes away from where your focus needs to be. Anxiety is a warning sign that our focus is in the wrong place. It's like the dash lights on your dashboard. When them come on, you know you've got a problem and you've got to deal with it. Anxiety is like that warning sign. When I'm feeling that anxiety, I've got to re realize I'm, my focus is the wrong place. Now, how I get it back to the Lord may be a process, depending on what it is that's creating this and how long it's been going on and all those issues. As I said two weeks ago, we have to fix our gaze on Christ and merely glance at our circumstances. We get it backwards. We, we gaze at our circumstances and only glance at God every once in a while. He's the answer, but we keep only glance at Him. And more than one of us, and I'll include myself in this, know what happens when you take your eyes off the road when you're driving. Just for a second. I remember in college, um, I was coming back from somewhere, and I forget where I was going. I was at a, I was at a turn, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and of course I was probably uh, wanting to get somewhere faster than I should have been. But uh, I'm sitting there, it was raining out, and, uh, and the light, I think, was blinking. And so the person in front of me was starting to go, and I, I, I looked down. And I looked up again, they stopped before I knew they did. And boom, right in the back of their car. Um, just that, that quick. We take our eyes off where they should be. And that's the way it is in life. We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. Um, because He's the one that keeps things moving. He's the one that keeps us going. Um, so be anxious for nothing. But, and here's the cure for worry. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Again, I'm so glad he puts the word everything in there. What are we to be anxious for? Nothing. Not one thing. What are we to be in prayer about? In everything. And do you know what everything means? Everything. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, requests known to God. These words that are used here help us understand to a greater degree what prayer as an, as an antidote to worry is. The word that's used, the translated prayer here is the general word used throughout Scripture typically translated as prayer. It is, it is a more sacred word. It means a lesser who approaches a greater one. It speaks of how we approach God. 
God is not my co-pilot. God is my God. He's on the throne. He's my king. And so we approach him as the great and majestic God that he is. He carries the idea of adoration, worship, and devotion. And so prayer is an act of worship, first of all. It's putting ourselves in the right posture before the, the king. Coming in humility before the throne. Supplication. The word that's used here means to pray for a particular need or benefit. And it's, it's acknowledging our need. And so prayer is an act of dependence upon God. I need Him to show up. If He doesn't show up, things are not going to go well. I'm not going to have what I need. I, I, used to, I used to get so stressed out uh, over being a pastor because I, I was keenly aware of my inadequacy to, to move into certain circumstances with any knowledge or understanding or wisdom or whatever I felt I needed to bring to the table. You know, and, and one of those was death. You know, it's like, what do I say when somebody just died? What, what, do, what do I do? And yet, I've got to be there. I've got to show up. I don't know what to do. I don't, and so I get so stressed out. till finally I came to the realization that it isn't about me. <laughs> it's about Him. And and I get the privilege of being a representative of God in people's lives when they walk through hard things. And I just can show up and let God show up with me. I still don't know what to say. But I realize I don't always have to say anything. Speak. Sometimes God does put things on my heart to share and Remember certain scriptures to But I need to be dependent upon the Lord. We need to depend on Him. If you can do it in your own strength, you don't need the Lord and you won't pray. And so, you know, when we only ever walk into situations that are within our comfort zone or within our sphere of um, ability or capability, we never learn to know what it means to trust and depend on God. I've often said this, and I really believe this. God called me to ministry because He knew I needed to be in ministry more than He needed me to be in ministry. He needed me to... He, I need to be in a place where I always have to depend on God. Because if not, I would be doing my own thing I'd only do things that I could do and, and I'd, I'd be happy there and live my whole life there. But God keeps pushing me beyond that and I'm so thankful because it has helped me and is teaching me how to depend on Him. 
That's what prayer in this is. It's depending on Him. And then thirdly, prayer is an act of faith. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Thanksgiving is an expression of gratitude to God. Yes, often for things that He's already done. But in this context, He hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't shown up with His peace yet. This thanksgiving is an act of faith. I mentioned uh, my friend uh, Richard Burr a few weeks ago in his book, Developing Your Secret Closet of Prayer. And I want to read a little bit. He talks about thanksgiving. He says, when one hurts deeply, when there is a scar of tissue on the heart, when things appear to be hopeless, is there a cure? Yes. Possibly the most powerful antidote for such conditions is thanksgiving. And when expressed in such circumstances, it is truly an act of great faith and therefore a very pleasing sacrifice to God. The Apostle Paul teaches us in his letters to the church of Thessalonica, Ephesus and Philippi, the nature of such thanksgiving. Ephesians, or 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. And here in Philippians 4.6, In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice the emphasis Paul places upon this act of gratitude. In everything and for everything. The preposition in and for are words that usually express limitations, but the apostle places no limits on thanksgiving. For we are commanded to give thanks in everything. It is normal to give thanks after the answer is received. But the Philippians 4.6 instructs us to offer thanksgiving as we present our requests to God. This pre-answer gratitude is a preemptive strike against bitterness and disappointment over how and when our Heavenly Father chooses to answer. Also, it is an expression of enormous faith to thank Him in, our, in advance of His response. Our understanding that He will always do right by our petitions prompts us to be grateful to Him before they are answered. Thanksgiving lifts us above any and all circumstances. When we can stare in the face of uncertainty, difficulty, tragedy, and say, thank you, God, that you're in control. I'm hurting deeply. I don't understand. The pain is so overwhelming, I can't think straight. But God, I thank you that you're in control. We can do that. It's a preemptive strike against bitterness that can so easily and so quickly well up in our heart. It's an act of faith to give thanks. And in this book, he also says this phrase, I've shared this before, where there is no remembrance of past mercies and no consideration of present blessings, there is the certainty of future rebellion. When I do not cultivate a heart of gratitude, looking back and seeing how blessed I am, 
the things He's done, and how I can recognize in the present situation things I can be thankful for. If I do not do that, there is the certainty of future rebellion. I will turn away from God. At some point. And the word request, again, this is in the context of not having the answer yet. Right? This is an act of faith. I make my request. I lay them before the Lord. I lay the specifics of what I'm asking for to God. And I entrust them in His care. And if I believe God is really in control, and I believe that God is all wise and perfect in love, then I can trust Him when I don't know what the outcome will be. And God is so masterful that He can work through situations that, that we look and say, how in the world is He going to take anything and make anything good out of this? And He can work it in such a way that it almost seems as if He intended the bad thing to happen so He could bring about the good. He is so good, so wise, and so loving that He does this. We can trust Him with that. Well, one last verse I want to leave with you. And I, and I would encourage you to take Philippians 4, 4 through 9 and put this to memory. Because it's so helpful. The fact of the matter is, some of you are going through things that are really hard right now. Some of you have been through them just recently. And some of you, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but some of you are going to be entering them pretty soon. It's the reality of life. We can put these verses to memory. We have it with us when, we are, when, we are, when our breath is taken away. And we can, we can by faith call back these verses and, and by faith put into practice what God has said because we trust Him. Another, another couple of verses. First Peter, and we'll end with this. First Peter, chapter five. Another couple of verses to that are great to put to memory. Verses six and seven. Peter says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time." Our problem is we get it backwards. We want to exalt ourselves. And so we, when we exalt ourselves, God by His mighty hand needs to humble us. And He will. Sometimes it's through circumstances. But if we will humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, He in His time and His way will exalt us. And then the next verse says, Casting all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. When we lose sight of the fact that He cares for us, that's when we worry and get anxious. Well, I've, I've got to take so much, I've got to take control of this. And how do I do that? I get all worried and all bent out of shape about it. No, if I remember, He cares for me. He's got this. He's in control. He's at work. And I can trust Him in His timing of this. I can rest. 
Hey, there's things we got to do in the midst of difficult times. There's things that need to get done. Yes, but we do it with the understanding that God's got this. God's in control. God's working through what I'm doing. And so the anxiety wanes as we walk through this. Casting all your cares, all your concerns, all your anxiety on Him. Because He cares for you. Lord, thank You for these truths that are in Your Word. Lord, I'd be the first to acknowledge that anxiety and the things that create anxiety are are hard. There are some right now who are feeling overwhelmed by circumstances. And Lord, anxiety can, can, can grip us so hard, it paralyzes us from moving, from acting, from thinking, from getting out of bed in the morning. Lord, I understand. You understand. I think your word is clear. We need to get our eyes on you. God, help us to work these things out in our life. I thank you that your word is not just some trite thing that just you just throw these, these things out there. Lord, this is, this is your truth. This is your word. This is your love letter to us. This is you saying to us, I want what's best for you. So I'm telling you these things because I care. Because I know. I know I've designed you. I know what the answer to your difficult problem is. And how you can experience peace that cannot be explained. So Lord, thank you that you've given us a part to to play in this. So help us, Lord. For we ask it in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to sing an old hymn that... uh,